0: Good morning, everyone at Battersea. Um, give a big cheer to the people that are watching at Battersea, um, here in Balaam, and all those people online as well. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Viv, and Steve and I have the absolute privilege of leading this lovely church. And um, what we did last week is that we were able to tune in from uh, to church last week while we were sunning ourselves in Egypt. And so, like, we love the fact that we get to do this Um like this whole technology kind of enables us to, to tune in even from Egypt. So we were able to watch Mike as he kicked off our new series on discipleship. And I have a question for you this morning, that what do you think Jesus speaks about most to those that would follow him? Any ideas? Is it the kingdom? Is it morality? Is it sex? Any of those things? Nope, it's money. And this is because Jesus knows that we cannot serve both God and money. We will subconsciously or consciously only be able to love one or the other, and Jesus longs for our full affection, and this is why he addresses money more than anything else in in the Bible. And we see from the very beginning that the call has been to follow Jesus and to follow his leadership in every single area of our lives. And it's why we need to talk about it as well. It's vital. It's a vital part of following Jesus. And it's really good to assess our relationship to money as well, really regularly. I think especially in London, where the pull of stuff and experiences is it's just so overwhelming, isn't it, sometimes? If you're here for the first time, or if you're visiting, or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then we're really, really glad you're here. We don't always talk about money, um, so please don't let that put you off. But I just want to invite you in to listen to this, to be part of this conversation. And I know that when pastors talk about money, it can be a bit of a trigger, you know, a bit, um, bit bit, weird. But one of the things that Jesus is famous for is turning those things of the good life on its head. And just a bit like Jesus said this once, he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that word blessed there in the Greek is a word called makarios. And it literally means happy. There's more happiness in giving than in receiving. There's more happiness in a life of generosity than in a life of greed or materialism. And all sorts of social science has shown that, shocker, Jesus was way ahead of his time. Um, we don't need research to kind of validate the claims of Jesus or the New, New Testament, but I find it fascinating. There's these sociologists called Christian Smith and Hilary Davison, well-known Um, sociologists and their book um, the paradox of generosity and they they summarize the data and they conclude that generous people are happier and healthier they live longer they have lower levels of depression and anxiety and they're more interested in personal growth and they have better long-term relationships so this isn't just a nice idea it turns out that the western formula of more money equals more happiness is simply not true and so I hope as well, if you've hung around here as, uh, for any length of time at Vineyard 61, you would have noticed or had a little sniff that maybe one of our core values is generosity. And I think, you know, our aim is as a church community, we want to see how far we can push generosity. And our, our dream is, as a, as a church, we would be known in this area as a radically generous community. And so it's no surprise, really, that Jesus actually cares a lot about this area. It's estimated that over 25% of Jesus' teachings are about money at some level. Can you imagine if, like, a quarter of our talks here at church were about money? I think probably the church would shrink really fast. Um, But Jesus spent so much time talking about this subject, which is fascinating. He's, you know, he's not like a rabbi leading a congregation or a synagogue, you know, like needing to raise money for the annual budget or his associate rabbi. You know, he's not doing a building project in the temple and raising money for the roof. You know, he's, he's not even raising money for the poor like Paul did a bit later on in the New Testament. He's just interested in the human heart. He's always interested in the human heart. And so for Jesus, as best as I can tell, money is about so much more than money. It's about the interiority of the heart. And so I want to ask us all this question this morning. What is your heart set on? Where is your treasure? Throughout the Gospels, Jesus uses money as a litmus test to reveal our true priorities. And I know, I know the majority of people's income in this community will go on housing, but it's still a challenge, isn't it, to see how much money we spend on coffee or brunch or alcohol or Amazon purchases during lockdown. And this is the point, and it's a challenging truth. While we might say one thing is our treasure, how we actually spend our money is the actual truth. And I know this is hard, we come from different backgrounds, we come from different perspectives, different experiences, but can I just ask you to open your heart to what God might want to say to you this morning? What freedom that he might have for you? And so let's allow Jesus to speak into this, shall we? Let's, help, let's hear what he has to say in Matthew 6, it should come up on the screen. And it says, Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want to pick up two main challenges from this text. And the first one is a challenge to where is your treasure stored? Is it in earth or heaven? And the secondly, if we want our hearts to change, we move our treasure first. So, firstly, a challenge to where our treasure is stored. Have you ever seen a hearse at a funeral towing a big removal van full of stuff? What was that? <laughs> um, this is weird. Um, but the reality is that we can't take our stuff with us when we die. That's the reality. You can't just take your whole removal stuff with you on the back of your hearse. We cannot take it with us when we die. It will, all the stuff that we spend so much time saving for and like gathering, all our stuff... It will all either deteriorate or get stolen or we just literally won't be able to take it with us. That's the reality. But here's the twist that Jesus brings. Now He says that we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. It's that simple. Anything that we try to hang on to here will be lost. But anything that we put into God's hands will be ours for eternity. Anything that we put into God's hands will be ours for eternity. Um, about 10 years ago, we went through a, a situation. Apologies to people that have heard this story before, but um, this, this situation probably changed our attitude towards money forever. I'm going to paraphrase and dramatically reduce all the toings and froings that happened about six years prior to that. But um, in essence, Steve had done various different jobs, and he, at times he'd been employed and then he'd been self employed. And so the HMRC, God bless them. <laughs> Um, if anybody works for them, God bless you, Um, they'd got a little bit confused with his tax returns. And um, so we'd send off the correct tax returns. Uh, We'd think it was all sorted. And then a few months later, they'd send us a a reminder that they hadn't got the tax returns. And so um, we'd resend them. And then a few months later, we'd get another letter saying that the amount had gone up. And so we'd ring up again. We'd speak to a different person. We'd get reassured that it was all okay. And this was before online online submissions as well so it was all done through the post they'd get another we'd get a, we'd literally say yeah we've got it in front of us mrs bateman or whatever and then a few months later we'd get another letter saying we owed some more money and so this cycle carried on for a few years until it all com- culminated on a cold november day literally almost 10 years to the day um, and there was a knock at the door and steve was served with a bankruptcy notice And so they froze all our assets and they were going to take everything away from us. And we had a decision to make there and then of how we were going to handle this. Were we going to go into anxiety and panic because let's face it money and it's a major cause of stress and anxiety or were we going to trust God? And I can honestly say that those few months where we had to fight our case and represent ourselves in court because we couldn't afford a lawyer and make decisions about our future, which our finances did not permit, were some of the most joyful times that we've had. It was was just such a time of declaring God's provision and promises over us us, and standing on the truth of his promises, uh, even if it meant we lost everything. And we, could have, we literally could have lost everything. And there was just something so freeing knowing that it was totally up to God and choosing every day to trust him rather than what our bank account was saying. And, and actually, we didn't even have a bank account at the time because they'd frozen that as well. Um, but I can honestly say that something shifted in, a, in, in us at this point, just re, re, realizing that it all belongs to God anyway. All of it belongs to God. It's so easy to think that our money and our stuff is ours, but it's not. It all belongs to God. And the outcome of it was that uh, we went to court to get it overturned, and we were successful, which was just incredible. It was against all the odds. Um, We did still have to pay a large sum of money, far more than what we owed, but the bankruptcy was overturned, which was amazing but we learned some lifelong lessons during those months that just shaped our attitude towards money. And I think one of the, the biggest lessons we, we grasp in relation to money is a principle that um, this guy called randy alcorn um and it's a book called the treasure principle i'd really 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 recommend this book if you i mean it does come with a bit of a health warning because it is quite challenging about our attitude towards money but um he says god owns everything i'm just his money manager and we realize that our house belonged to god not us so why actually worry about whether we'd keep it or not if it belongs to him anyway you know, he has no shortage of resources. He could easily provide us with another place to live. And I think this principle of realising that everything is God's, it just dramatically reduces your anxiety and frees us from this trap of money. Um, for the next two or three years after that, I, I actually really don't know how we managed to stay in Balaam in the house that we have. We'd, have, um, we'd basically have more, far more money going out than we did coming in. And yet somehow it worked. And we knew that God had called us to live in Balaam and he hadn't finished with us being here. And so we were just like, virtually every day we'd say, God, we, we cannot afford to stay here. We cannot afford to stay here. It would make so much more sense for us to move out of London. But if you want us to stay here, you have to provide. And we'd have family members almost cross with us going, how are you doing this? Um, and yet, whenever we were on the edge of, of just really not having enough, we you know we'd stripped all the ed- extras out—no coffees, no meals out, buying food from Lidl, halved our shopping bill, by the way. But we would in- increase our giving, and every time we increased our giving, I am not kidding you, we had enough. We'd say. You know, God, I really believe that you've called us to live in Balaam, and so you have to provide. We can't do this without you. But we'd increase our tithe, or we'd give extra money away. And I kid you not, month after month, we would have enough. And it's got to the point where, for Steve and I, I think it feels illegal for us to worry about money. Because we've seen God provide time after time. And all of our stuff is his anyway. So the second challenge from the passage that we read earlier is, is that if we want our hearts to change, we move our treasure first. I'm not sure how many times I've read this, this passage from the Bible, but I'm not, I, I just haven't quite grasped it before. Maybe it's a bit of a slow learner. Um, but since I might not be the only one missing the obvious, um, I wanted to share with you just some of my thoughts on this, on this scripture. So this verse, um, the last one, verse 21 For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'd always thought if your heart was right, you would naturally use your treasure righteously. And yet that's not what the scripture says at all. Jesus doesn't say your treasure will follow your heart. He says your heart will follow your treasure. The way to change your heart is not by trying to change your heart, but by learning to choose your treasure wisely. Treasure leads the way. And your heart follows so if you want to change your heart move your treasure your treasure holds the key to your heart so and honestly if you doubt this principle take a look at the way that you spent your money or your time last month did your spending match the priorities of your heart if you're anything like me probably didn't treasure has a mind of its own and it will go its own way regardless of the desires of your heart unless you watch it constantly. Whereas your heart, on the other hand, is far more loyal. And it will eventually follow where your treasure leads it. This is both frightening and encouraging. It's scary to think that our treasure is actually more powerful than our heart. We like to, I think we like to believe that our heart is in charge and that our treasure will follow. But it's not true but it also gives us hope because it provides a game plan for changing hearts and becoming more like Jesus. Heart-, heart changing is a tricky issue, and it's difficult to know where to begin. Whereas controlling our treasure, on the other hand, is more straightforward. It takes a plan, it takes a budget and some discipline, but at least it's easy to identify what needs to be done. So if you move your treasure towards eternity, the promise is your heart will follow. I wanted to touch briefly on the subject of tithing and and just give some basic principles regarding it. Tithing, for those of you who've never heard about it, is the principle that God set up in the Old Testament where he required the first 10% of all that we earned to be given to the temple. So does the Old Testament model of tithing still apply to Christians today since it was part of the Old Covenant? I have mixed feelings on tithing. I can't stand legalism, and I certainly don't want to impose superseded First uh, Covenant restrictions on Christians. However, the fact is that every New Testament example of giving goes beyond the tithe. The call of Jesus is to a life of grace, and if anything, it's to a more radical lifestyle. We are never told that tithing has been superseded. Jesus directly affirmed it. Prominent church fathers taught it as a requirement for Christian living. But I love the phrase in Acts 4.33. It says that the disciples gave all that they had because much grace was upon them all. And it, it was obvious that being under grace didn't mean that the New Testament Christians would give less than their Old Testament ancestors. But it actually meant that they would give more. Being under grace does not mean living by lower standards than the law. Jesus never lowered the bar. He always raised it. But he also empowers us, by his grace, to jump higher than the law demanded. God's economy doesn't work like like this earth's economy. It just doesn't. I've seen it firsthand that when you have this attitude shift of everything belonging to God anyway, and then joyfully giving it away... He gives far more back again. God, God, God says it. It's the only time in the Bible God says, test me. He says, test me in this. Test this reality. He says, just try it out. See what happens. Just try giving. Try tithing. And see what happens to your heart. Try it for six months. Just try and do something radical. Change your budget for six months and see what happens to your heart. Literally just test God's theory out and see if he's Right? See if in six months you feel deprived and more angry, <laughs> or if you feel more free and more content and more joyful than you ever have before. John Mark Comer, he says, he says, practices are how we index our heart through our mind and our body in the, life of, 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 in the direction of life in Jesus's kingdom. And as best as I can tell, for Jesus, tithing is a practice by which we move our heart away from fear and greed and discontentment and injustice, and towards a heart of gratitude and trust and peace and love and compassion for those in need. Who doesn't want that? Um, I I just really believe that giving is not a maths issue. It's not. It's not a maths issue. It's a heart issue. And when you give, it's a picture of your heart. And it's like this closed-fisted mentality. If I can just control what I have, I'm going to hold this fist so tight that that ends up being the position of your heart. And the lie is, and I I really think that the enemy just sits there and pokes at you. It's just, you know, if I just had more money, then I would give. Or if I just had, you know, if I just had a little bit more money, then I'd start giving. But I, I love this um, John D. Rockefeller quote, and he says, I never would have been able to tithe my first million dollars I'd ever made if I had not tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. And I just really believe that giving has to become a habit, no matter where you are financially. Giving is the number one line in your budget because it changes you. When you give you start to move on the spectrum of yourself from selfish to selfless and essentially become more like Jesus. What giving does is it like prize open your fist and it gives this open-handed mentality and it changes your, it changes you, it changes your heart, it changes who you are. We are created in the image of God and he is the biggest giver of all he gave us his son so that we can have a relationship with a perfect and holy god and so if we're made in his image we are created to be givers and so when you're giving even if it's not a lot just something what starts to shape in you you start becoming more like jesus i i really don't want to become legalistic in this like there's a lot of grace in it there really is but my plea is do not stop giving Like, increase your giving, continue to give, because it's a posture of your heart and your spirit. And it's basically this belief that God is extravagantly generous, and we can trust him. We can trust him. He is the most generous being in the universe, and he calls us, his people, to reflect that in how we give and how we live. Just to give you an indicator of what Steve and I do, uh, lots of people have this model and lots of people do it differently to us. But we have, for the most part of our adult life, um, given at least 10% of our gross income back towards whichever church we've been a part of. And even though we're now employed by this church, we still give 10% of our gross income back to Vineyard 61. And then on top of that, we have... I, I don't know, it's a bit twee, but we call it a blessing fund. Um, And it's just like an extra sum of money to do spontaneous things with, like um, paying for other people's meals or helping people out or giving to charity. And even in preparing this talk, I really feel like God's been challenging me. Um, You know, it's so easy to set up a direct debit and it not be a heart response. And yet I want to be someone whose heart fully belongs to Jesus and have my heart set on eternity, that's what I want. And so, so even in that, I'm like, God, what, what, what have I just got used to here? What can I change? What can I shift? And so to be a, to be a follower and not a fan of Jesus, a bit like Mike was saying last week, giving isn't really optional. Jesus commands it and expects it of us. We still have a choice whether to follow his call, but the choice is to more prayerfully decide with God how much to give. But I think it's better to have this paradigm shift, to think of it as pure privilege with incredible rewards, both now and later for eternity. It's a a less of a a have to than we get to. The benefits so far outweigh the cost that it's just a no-brainer. Our aim is to be a church which changes the lives of thousands of people in our community, that rewrites the story of our city. And I love the phrase, Causeway Coast have this phrase, which is that we are building lives of breathtaking generosity to make the impossible sustainable. I love that. We are building lives of breathtaking generosity to make the impossible sustainable. And this is is the goal, isn't it? To see see this city, this nation, this world transformed by the power of the gospel. And our giving is just one way that makes this possible. Our, Our purpose as a church should all be able to repeat it after me, God is in the transformation business and we get to join in. This is such a great way to join in. We partner with our money and see what God can do. A really significant way to join his transformation business is to set up regular committed giving to the church. We have a big vision and everyone gets to join in. Um, Just to be transparent with you, as a church, we've lost a significant number of regular committed givers over the last 18 months, and we are entirely dependent on the generosity of our members. We we don't have a fundraising department, and we're not bankrolled by by the Church of England or vineyard churches, Um, but there there have been times over the the six-year history of our church where we've been short of money, and again, it's illegal for us to worry about money, um, for, for Steve and I we've seen so many times God break through and, and again in the life of the church we've seen times where we've been really short of money as a church and rather than doing a big giving drive we've just simply prayed and trusted God for his provision and we just again we've seen incredible provision and generosity and answers to prayer from the church community so this isn't a desperate plea but it's an invitation to join us in bringing transformation and part of the joy of giving to this church is that we've seen some of the impact of what your money, of, of, we've given and you've given. And can I just say a huge thank you to those who currently commit to regular giving? It's, it's good, isn't it? It's really good. You know, every time we hear a baptism story, we know that we've contributed to that person's life being changed in this life and for eternity. Every time we listen to stories of people's lives being blessed through the hub that we run here on a Monday in Ballum, or the stories from City Sunday a couple of weeks ago, we know that we've contributed. I get so excited to hear the stories of lives of people being transformed, because I know I've played a part in this as a result of what we give. And every time we consider what it's going to be like to meet Jesus on that final day, joined by thousands of people that have come to know him because of what we've done here as a church. We know we've paid a a part in joining with what God is doing. What an absolute privilege. So I I really believe we need to be faithful in our giving, maintaining it in difficult times, and increasing it where we haven't been given much in the past. I, I honestly think that sometimes our lack of giving is a large part of our financial problems. It is certainly never a solution to it. But just to say, there's there's a brilliant charity called CAP we can put you in touch with. if um, They offer debt counselling, and they're they're a really valuable help with money issues. And I'd thoroughly recommend having an appointment with them if you're struggling financially in any way. This can be such an area of shame, but there is so much help out there. So please don't be afraid to ask for help. And also our Emergency Compassion Fund. We have money available if you need it for rent and housing and um, bills and food and things like that. So please, again, don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it. Please email hello at 61org to get in touch. But my challenge for all of us is this. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Has God really got a hold of your heart in this area? Do we have a withholding or a giving heart? It's all about the heart. See, giving it not a luxury, it's a privilege. We get to do this. We get this opportunity to become like him. And generosity is the evidence of the nature of God in our lives. It's the evidence that we're getting it, but it's also the evidence that he's getting us. So, it, So I believe that giving starts with a tithe, giving God a tenth of what we earn, that's the starting point for giving. So if you haven't already, just go ahead and get started on this adventure and just find out the abundance of your father's heart towards you as you release what you have in your heart towards him. I, I know we can get a bit weird about money and nervous about talking about it, but if we don't talk about it, we're depriving people of this adventure we've got. We, we've had such an adventure with God in this era of money, and I tell you, you're missing out if you're not doing it. I'm just really excited that we get to do this together. Um, for, for those of you that feel stirred by this, I wonder if we can just grab something that represents our money symbolically. It might be your wallet or your purse. It might be your phone if you've got Apple Pay, or whatever the Android equipment equivalent is, and just hold it out before us to God. Maybe the bands could um, come up at Battersea and at Balaam. Um, <laughs> it's a bit weird, isn't it? Hold out your phone. You're holding out Grace. Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, why don't we just hold these symbols of our money and our possessions towards God, again in an open-handed way. We want to be open-handed. This is all God's anyway. It's all his. And why don't we pray? Father, we we just acknowledge that all we have is yours. Thank you for entrusting us and making us stewards of your wealth. Thank you that you are so incredibly generous that you gave your only son so that we might live eternally with you. And thank you that as we partner with you in giving, you just bring us so much life. So we just surrender again to you today. We surrender our bank accounts. We surrender our anxieties about money to you. We say we trust you, that you're a good father. And we thank you that you know what we need even before we do, that all you ask is for us to seek your kingdom first and foremost. So we set our sights again on you today. Would you realign our hearts to you today? Amen. If you, if you do want to act on any of this financially, we'd, we'd love to invite you on this adventure of doing one of the following. Consider giving a one-off gift to the church. Consider starting regular committed giving to the church. Consider increasing your regular giving or just ask god like this is a this is a partnership this is an adventure that you have with god ask him what he would like ask him to dare to dare you what what to do above and beyond and you can do any of these rather rather giving envelopes on your chairs or you can go online or you can scan the qr code on the on the laminated sheets um and as we go into worship, it might be that you, that's your response today. You just want to you offer your money back to God. Or it might be just that as we go into a time of worship, we're just literally going, God, you know what? I want you to be my treasure. I want you to be my treasure, my only one that I'm focusing on. I want you to have my whole heart.